This is Back Talk, the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Miles. I am a rising senior at Bryn Mawr, and I'm an English major and a history minor. I was also a part of the 2020 Bryn Mawr strike, and I'm one of the founders of the Black Student Liberatory Coalition, along with Aaliyah. Cool. Hi, I'm Aaliyah. I'm a rising senior at Bryn Mawr. Oh my goodness, that feels That's crazy. Right. Um, but I'm a rising senior, history major, visual studies minor, and I was one of the folks who was involved in the strike. So this whole theme of protest really resonates with me just because it speaks to like some of my most immediate memories. So this podcast... Um that uh, we are collaborating uh, together to create is ultimately about um, just why we protest and how people protest today. Um, We're living in crazy, crazy times. And the amount of just injustice that um, we just experience daily and we see daily is just... And an, I feel like an all-time high in our g- generation. And s- with um, this marginalization and with this um, oppression comes a rise of um, people who won't stand for it. And I find that to be fascinating and very exciting um, to actually feel like you could be part of something revolutionary. So this podcast is really just about um, talking to people who want to change the world and who are doing that through protests. Um, so ultimately the way we wanna see this podcast work is um, we wanna have conversations with people who have um, started and or participated in their own protests. Um, and yeah, this podcast is, at first, uh, you know, sort of began for in a multitude of ways, but really um, it started because of um, a class project um, where I wanted to write about uh, Bryn Mawr protests and then had the idea that maybe this could be a podcast and that I could do it with my best friend and fellow activist, Aaliyah. I'm really excited to jump into this and um, excited that uh, we're starting this. Um, Aaliyah and I both have a rich history with protesting. Um, and I think we could just sort of jump in, like, first and foremost, like, our experience with social, social justice. I think um, we, as Black gender minorities, our experience with social, social justice has uh, just been since we, like, we're born, <laughs> we've always been like having to deal and think about social injustice. Um, but yeah, I think you need, like, I don't know, what, what, how do you feel? Like, what is your experience with like just seeing social justice around or like being erased around uh, yeah. social justice? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like I have a kind of really like blurred and complicated relationship with social justice just because I think I turned to it both as like a a personal outlet for stuff that was going on at homes but also as like kind of a professional one 
just because I think a lot of like black and brown folks really get like shuffled into social justice worlds to do the work that way people don't want to do. So I'm really grateful mm-hmm. for all of my social justice background. I think like a lot of times it can just be incredibly overwhelming emotionally, like spiritually, physically, um, even financially at times, just because the whole sector, I guess the whole um, region of social justice is just so like, it is carried by people of color who are willing to sacrifice really. Ultimately, it's like a huge sacrifice, people who are willing to sacrifice to do work that honestly doesn't seem to be ever done, like work that will never have a conclusion, work that doesn't end. Um, and it's work that happens at so many different levels, but ultimately the whole theme of like it being social justice, the theme of justice, like isn't, it's almost like an oxymoron. Like that's where we're asking for social justice, which is something we'll never like truly receive, you know, because that would involve complete overhaul. So I think social justice has been great, but it has been especially like complicated for me to embrace my social justice side just because I think Portland is also a really defining characteristic and how I've come to understand my relationship with social justice and here it's like again like a majority white city one of the most majority white cities in the country of America or the United States and yet like they shuffle like the two percent of Oregon's population into social justice fields Mm -hmm. like so many people who are doing like really necessary work to like revitalize like the black Um, And Latinx communities in Portland are people of color. And that's just because white people actively don't want to make those decisions or be involved in that work. So it's like social justice is great. But um, I wish it was almost called like, uh, I want to say something like community restoration. But even those words have been like co-opted by people in the social justice world. And that is also another thing about social justice is that it's so easy to commodify that I think a lot of people... um, have put themselves on the perimeter of doing social justice work when in reality they're just doing the bare minimum you know um, right so, yes <laughs> yeah that was just kind of a long-winded way to say that I I think social justice has a whole layer of complications and it's almost like we're inherently working towards something that isn't possible because the function of social justice in and of itself like is it possible in the way that we like operate in this world and I think that's especially relevant at the university but um, like I said I think I learned about it really early on in Portland um, and just by being like you know gender minority like person of color person struggling with sexuality person struggling Mm -hmm. with like all of my identities and healing from that generational trauma too like it's crazy when you think about it being so layered and like the ways that our our families exist and communicate and cooperate with one another um but yeah that's like part again part of the social justice stuff that only minorities are able to really tap into so yeah i mean like that that shit is so real sorry but that's so real um just this especially with this like generational trauma of um just this feeling you know really feeling your ancestry um just was inherent struggle and that you like that we are like products of colonization and that's really intense to know from such an early age Mm -hmm. um I think with me protesting and like social justice specifically has been something that I've just always been around especially um 
with like being in Los Angeles um, with it being like a very diverse city. And so there were protests happening all the time. Um, and then also my mom being gay. Um, and so then having a black queer person as a mother, that meant that I was going to a lot of protests um, as soon as I could really hold a sign and walk. I was like supposed to, I was going out with my mom really and, or learning about it. And um, that's, I think really where I sort of, um, besides just being inherently like, you know, like prone to being around social justice and like doing social justice work. I think my family dynamic has caused me to like have to always sort of be, I think, like speak up about something, um, especially when like I was younger and being in so many marginalized um, communities. Cause I went, I grew up in LA, but then I went to middle school in the Valley, which is like one of the whitest places in Los Angeles. So it's like this was this hub of me wanting to just fit in, but then everything about me not fitting in. And so then realizing that, especially like growing into that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm never gonna actually like fit in. So I might as well just like take up space and just talk about all the shit that's like, affecting me because Mm -hmm. who else is going to you know Mm -hmm. um yeah so I feel like that's sort of where you know like social justice where I think we both just sort of like life (laughs) had us start with social justice yeah and I will add on like social justice is strange too because it can be like almost inherent in your identities like I grew up like despite Portland being really white like I grew up basically in like Portland not even basically like in the area that has historically been um, the blackest part of Oregon, essentially like the only part of Oregon or the high, the pop, the part of Oregon with the highest percentage of black people in one space. Um, so that was really complex because as I was doing social justice work, I was like also going home, like basically to the hood. And I was like going to school with like all black kids and like growing up on streets that had historically been black owned and for black people. So it's like that like to some extent was a form of protest I think just because mm-hmm. existing like black people existing is protest and I think it's like black people existing in predominantly white spaces but also black people existing in spaces at all just because it seems like everything was inherently created to be anti-black and I think um that was like what was beautiful about the Bryn Mawr protest the Bryn Mawr strike was that we kind of like didn't I mean we did really special stuff and we did really important stuff but like mostly what we asked for is a recognition of our existence and recognition and acknowledgement of the space that we like were operating or occupying sorry and I think that's like us operating um in a I guess like professional or what is it what is the word that we kept using um Oh. administrative like yeah way. but like also us just operating in a really like spiritual tangible like real performative way where we were like okay this is like an act that we're going to do to really like make you all recognize what's happening and like you can label that a protest but I think protests are like a larger performance of something much deeper question mark that I don't have the mm-hmm. words for I don't know yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, 
yeah I mean like protests for me like I think the like I said I was going to protest when I was young my first protest was um very vividly remember was in LA um we were protesting against this car wash that wouldn't pay their workers fair wages Mm -hmm. um and you know I had a, a picket sign I went with my mom and my mom's um friend and any car that actually went in despite our protests we hit them with our sign um like I was I was six and crazy um and loud and I loved that but I also think that there was a lot I didn't fully like start to like organize stuff until I came to Bryn Mawr Mm -hmm. and I think like at least for me the Bryn Mawr strike which I think we can definitely like now move into talking about like the um just like our experiences with the Bryn Mawr strike but that was really the first time that I became like someone who was helping to like organize stuff rather than just going to the protests Mm -hmm. um yeah Mm -hmm. and I think we can sort of just like tell start by just like telling the story of the Bryn Mawr Haverford strike um I think you I ended up asking you if you needed help and that's how I got involved but I think you really were like um I think you should take it away (laughs) yeah um I will firstly say just generally about organizing I think that's the part of me that I like almost um I don't want to say resent, but I guess like resent most mm. just because I think organizing work is so like personally exhausting, but I mm-hmm. also feel like it doesn't always like build the coalition that one envisions when they start organizing and to some extent it can kind of fraction it more. So like with the whole Bryn Mawr strike thing, like it was like super great to work with so many people who were really interested in doing the work that we were doing in the way that we were doing it so like basically again like I said administrative work that we were doing over the course of like two plus weeks via multiple zoom calls and just like super exhausting time commitments and like really um taxing and emotional like writing and just like research and just doing all this work that was like yes organizing work and that's like really powerful because it was all um black focused and it was black centered but also like with the emphasis on the diaspora but it also just was like so like complicated because one I would argue that it didn't result in a lot of tangible takeaways like and that's like kind of cynical of me to say but like honestly like the school hasn't really taken anything that we've said and stuck true to their words or our words should I say and I think that's so common with organizing work is that organizers like basically get exploited for the work that they do and their image and their name and their brand becomes more impactful than the actual work that they put together or organize. Um, so again, like I'm really grateful for like all of the commitments of everybody who was involved in that work and they should be celebrated. But I feel like the system is set up that the work of organizers isn't celebrated in the ways that it's actually being conceived of. It's really just being um, almost like mobilized or weaponized any eyes really into a fraction of an institution and function and profit in a specific way. And I mean, profit not only in the economic sense, but also in, I think, the emotional sense. Like, I literally think the school gets something out of, like, getting us to expel a ton of emotional labor like we do in the form of a strike. 
his next year they're going to be anticipating more of this like healing restorative theme than they are going to be anticipating to do again like the real work that the strike asked for and not only asked for but said that we would continue to you know demand up until the school actually made real change and truthfully like if we were being sticking true to the strike like we would still be on strike like there's no there's no end to the or to organizing work because again like it's not what we're organizing against against like cannot be broken down it seems um and that's really sad because like again the school can put together stuff to make it seem like stuff is happening like all these work groups or classes or what the fuck ever committees um they love a committee they love a committee but it's like that only goes so far and I feel like especially like as I get older I start to think about all the time that I've like spent on doing organizing work and like what it now means for like us to be seniors essentially with all of this organizing work specifically at Bryn Mawr under our belt and it's like what is that going to benefit us in the future what like what what legacy are we leaving behind because it seems like we're leaving a legacy of organizing more than we are leaving a legacy of getting shit done and actually getting change to happen and that's not our fault but that is like the double-sided sword I think the double-sided edge of organizing work is that it can be really monumental and it can bring a lot of momentum to a specific cause for a specific time, but it also can just be like something that institutions can co-op so well and so easily. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think just also like sort of to more even like um, talk more in depth about like the Bryn Mawr strike itself as well, like that, I think we can like really see a lot from like the very beginning of how this all started. And it really, I think tells us what um, the BICO is like about Um, because the reason this started is because of Wendy Raymond. I don't know if I'm the Haverford college's president, um, her response to the fatal shooting of Walter Wallace Jr., mm-hmm. um, a black man in Philadelphia who was shot by the police. And essentially, she had said that we should not go out and protest because Walter Wallace Jr. and his family wouldn't want that or something along those lines. Like it wouldn't make a difference. And instead, to use the ballot box as a form of protest. Um, and I think just thinking about the very beginning of that, like really that email was just so horrible and it feels like it really sums up what Bryn Mawr thinks of protesting in mm-hmm. general. And even though this wasn't Bryn Mawr and it was Haverford, they're so intrinsically linked have one without the other so that email was for both of us it was for both Brynmar and Haverford and it was a representative of what they think about the killing of black people and it was it's hard to even call it disheartening because it wasn't surprising I just didn't think they would be that overt with their racism so that's what was kind of I was like oh she's laying it all out there right. um 
And I think that just having to be like experiencing that for um, experiencing the collectivity of going against um, the college and really not working within the confines of a committee or within the confines of something, um, an action group or another word for a committee or with the board of trustees or something like that, but really opposing was something incredible. And at the same time, it felt also like dis- the. I feel like we were deceived by the college essentially, um, because they're like we're going to agree to all of. We had demands, um, various demands. One of them, for like the one that I'm going to think of off the top of my head, is having a diversity, equity, and inclusion requirement at Bryn Mawr. You know, because they claim they're an anti-racist campus, so maybe you should teach anti-racism. And we're struggling, we're clawing our way to get that. And that's the same for every demand that we had that they said that we'd agree to. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that's one of the central challenges around protesting and around, especially protesting institutions is most of the time you're not gonna get what you want. And that's something that I learned about that. Mm-hmm. And that was something really hard to learn, you know? incredibly incredibly freaking hard to learn because I think it's like it's not only hard to learn like in that moment but it's also hard to learn alongside all of the other like things that are happening during a protest like the fact that your you know your teachers your your peers like literally people you have to share a bathroom with like would rather put their their comfort above your humanity and that's like what's so bizarre about Bryn Mawr is that like so many the strike wasn't even about like the strike, but it turned into like mm-hmm. literally how much we cared about a, a human being dying. Like, and I think mm-hmm. so many people like forget that this strike didn't just happen because of an email, like it happened because of the email, but it also happened because like literally someone died. Someone was right. murdered. Like Walter Wallace Jr. was murdered. And I think that's like, what's also scary about organizing work is that it can so easily move away from like the real issue and into like this like instagrammable you know like mm-hmm. shareable trendy infographic like, infographic type thing and that is like right. so disheartening because it's like yes this is what I wanted and this is what I meant but also like what we're asking here is like much deeper than this and this is like basically what Fred Milton was saying when he came right here. I was just basically. gonna say that yeah yeah, Fred Mountain coming like, was he hard. Still works for NYU. It's like right. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, I love him. Like, he's phenomenal. But I'm like, you are equally as, to some extent, you are equally as complacent. Like, you can use the whole like, I prefer to live my life. I prefer to live my life with this argument. But like in reality, like what what we need is like. I just need a total reset. I don't even know. I can't think of the words. No, honestly, like, you cannot... I've been... The more I think about protesting, the more I think about equity and changing, you know, the system, is that you can't change something within a system. Mm-hmm. Like, that's or that's built on slavery, and that's broken. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have a new system. And then it's like, you have to restart the government, but is government in and of itself... Um, inherently like anti like 
I don't know, like pro-establishment and then is government, like, can there ever be a good government or is that oxymoronical? Like, right. That's sort of what this protest showed me where I was like, oh, you cannot really change establishment. This is becoming like a very pessimistic podcast, but like, that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's sort of what it felt like. And then on the flip side of that I'm not sure you know like we don't have to be positive on here but so that I felt that came from the podcast uh the um protests were one the collectivity that was fostered and then like our town halls slapped like yes we yes called out everyone under the sun yes and people were there there were hundreds of people there mm-hmm. and also we got like crazy recognition. Were they from right wingers? Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> like Ben Shapiro and was it Megan Kelly? Um, horrible people. Yet they did pay attention to us. We made we shook right. some shit. Like we stirred some shit up. And I think that's also a part of protesting is like causing disruption. And yes. I value that and at the same time I'm not gonna lie it scares me too because Mm -hmm. we're protesting a black man that was murdered by the police and we are black people and we could ease that could easily happen you know like we it's scary to think that we could become a hashtag or we can become a protest or then if or what does it take for one to become like a face of because Walter Wallace Jr. it shook Philly but it wasn't making like news around you know the nation necessarily right Um, Right. so people like with George Floyd was the difference that people had to see it to believe Mm -hmm. it and that's also scary in and of itself so Mm -hmm. then it leads me to wonder what protests is there an effective way to protest I think that's what I want hopefully if we like to continue this podcast is to answer that overall question can protests really make changes yes yeah can protests make changes that is such a phenomenal question that is such <laughs> a good question and truthfully like i'm like i don't even know i don't want to say i don't think so like because i'm like yeah i don't want to make this a pessimistic podcast but at the same time i'm like i don't think so but yes I like your point about disturbing the peace or disruption is really a key and I think like I don't know if protests and disruption are inherently synonymous anymore at least in the United Mm -hmm. States of America just because again like the the reasons we've already noted but disruption like has such a specific I think it carries more weight so yeah can disruption do stuff? Yes. Can protest? Maybe not so much. Because mm-hmm. I feel like protests can easily become so politicized. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you have to do this or you have to be here between these hours. And that sort of defeats the like point of a protest. Um, so I think I like this idea of disruption better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really exciting to me. Um, and like... I want to also, I would love to hear from, like, people who do, like, you know, nationwide, like, protests. Like, Alicia Garza, 
come on this podcast. I know this is right. our first episode and you don't know who we are, but please come talk to us. <laughs> like, she's doing stuff, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And I also, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, like, yeah, like, it would be great to have, like, leaders on here because I'm curious, like, what people say because doing the protests at Bryn Mawr also might like say a lot about like our relationship to protests mm-hmm. yeah that silly place that silly place and I also low-key low-key forgot that the BMC strike was not my first Bryn Mawr protest it was true in Carrie Thomas yeah and I completely forgot about that yeah, and we protested against the trustees. That was our first year, <laughs> and signage was put up, but ultimately, it's just locked in bureaucracy. So again, the protested that protested something superficial in that there's like explains that she's a eugenicist, I guess, but mm-hmm. like her name's still on like engraved in the concrete and. With the strike, we are still, we still don't have a DEI requirement. Um, We still aren't a sanctuary campus for um, people who are undocumented. Um, We have, there's just so much that they have failed us um, Mm -hmm. with, even though we protested. So I think that the overall (laughs) conclusion we have come to is that does I don't do we need to move away from protesting and should we move towards disruption and would that be different and would that be different yeah. I think that's a good question and like when you remind me about oh I'm Carrie Thomas like I think about the fact that like it's not only that is her name like engraved into concrete but it's like her name is attached to a national monument that receives like public funding. Like that girl is literally like, like making the school money. Her legacy makes the school money. All of it, the entirety of it. So mm-hmm. she's like disruption. Like yeah, let's destroy her building. Let's start. Yeah. Like I don't care about the name. I want to break down the literal thing from top mm-hmm. to bottom. Like right. The cloisters. I'll burn it. I always have made. <laughs> just kidding no arson don't arrest us i know literally you already know where i was going with this yeah um yeah her ashes are scattered in the cloister so that's just creepy yeah she said my final act will be my white supremacy will be scattered here exactly that's that's very sounds about white (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but honestly i feel like this is a great great start into this podcast as an introduction to this podcast I really think we like Mm. have raised some very good questions that hopefully in the future if we can get guests to come on here um can help us answer this question of do protest work if not what do we do how do we disrupt the system Mm -hmm. and will that work um and yeah so this has been really, really cool to like for us to like, I don't know, have our first episode. And again, um, I'm Miles. And, and I'm Aaliyah. Yay. And we 
our back talk the podcast and Mm -hmm. if you're interested in talking about your experience organizing protests or disruptions as we have come to now uh see as better than protests um please email us slash dm us on instagram (laughs) and we'd love to have you um yeah this has been so 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 good um I'm excited to do this again. Yes. Woo. Thank you, Miles. Yeah, thank you. <sighs> okay, I'm going to go to sleep. Okay, have a great night. <laughs> Thanks, bye. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast, Back Talk. You can find us on Instagram at backtalk creative if you would like to be a guest on the show please dm us on our instagram again that is backtalk creative have a fantastic day